Hey everyone, this is Charlie Levine, editor of Angler's Journal Magazine, and you're listening to the Angler's Journal Podcast, brought to you by Angler's Journal Magazine. If you're looking for a different fishing magazine that's not just about sharpening hooks and tying knots, I think you'll really love Angler's Journal. We're all about the people and the places and the experience. Check out anglersjournal.com and pick up a subscription. Today on the podcast, we have one of our contributors. Um, Angler's Journal has always celebrated art in all of its forms. And our guest today is a very accomplished artist, but he's also a fly fishing guide. Don't, don't get that combo very often, but uh, Alberto Ray, welcome, welcome to the show here. How are you today, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Oh, it's great to have you. I've I've always been a fan of your work and, you know, your your outlook on things. And then we've been emailing because you have a big trip coming up that mm-hmm. we're hoping to get some sketches and stuff from you. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think in some of our emails, we were talking about Cuba mm-hmm. and how you went back to Cuba. And that was something that really sparked an idea with me. Um, I know you immigrated to the States when you were very young, right? From Cuba. Correct. I left when I was three, got political asylum in Mexico, to Mexico, lived there for a couple of years. And then our family moved to Miami. And then from Miami, I lived for a couple more years. And then my father had to get uh, recertified to teach. And so he went to university at Rutgers, and then we ended up moving from Miami to a little coal mining town in Pennsylvania. The population was about 2,000 people. It was it was a big, uh, big difference from Miami. Yeah, I could imagine. And, you know, you were you always into art? I mean, as a child and during those times, was that something that kind of kept you grounded or? You know, I, it was. I mean, again, in a, in a coal mining town, there's not a lot of artists there. But <laughs> uh, my, I, I remember my father used to kind of do some creative work, um, and I found that fascinating. I mean, he wasn't an artist, but he just seemed like he had some kind of ability to make things interesting visually. And uh, right from us when I was young, I used to copy. Uh, the cartoons in Mad Magazine. And then as I got older, I mean, we didn't have any art history books or anything. So I would copy album covers. And after that, when I was in high school, I saw my first art history book and I started copying, painting some art history books and uh, never really thought I could get a, have a career in the arts. Uh, never knew of any artists. So I I was really a science geek. I loved biology and I wanted to be an oceanographer and uh, or an architect, but I loved the sciences. And so that's kind of what I went, uh, ended up going to school for is uh, biology and then took an art class just by chance. And I asked the professor if he thought I should stick with it. And he said he'd let me know at the end of the uh, semester. And he ended up saying, yeah, stick with it. I want you to be my uh, teaching assistant next semester. So that started me on the road in the arts. If he would have said, no, you suck, I would have been a <laughs> biologist, I think. Well, thank God he didn't say that. That's that's a cool story. And and you've been so prolific. Like I just spent the last couple hours looking through your sites and reading about you. And my God, books and paintings and ceramics. I mean, tons and tons of stuff. 
You know, I, I, um, I like to keep myself busy. I'm not one of these people who can sit around for long periods of time. I seem to turn everything into an art project or a job or something. I find it exciting. It's exhilarating intellectually. And I've been fortunate to have lived a long time. I'm 63. And so I think just out of, you know, if you keep working for that long for every day, you just accumulate accomplishments. And I've been fortunate that that's been what's happened. Well, I love your stuff. I love your use of color. And, you know, for me, obviously being a fishing geek, that was the first stuff of yours I ever saw where your trout, steelhead, things like that. And then, you know, as we were talking about Cuba, you were sending me all these cool uh, paintings of bonefish and tarpon. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to go to Cuba in 2012 and it was a really, really neat experience. Um, but you had said that, you know, there was a time in your life, you said, I'm never going back there. And yet it was, it was fishing that brought you back. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I think I, I went first with my mother. My mother wanted to show me where I grew up and where the family was. And we went to Havana. And um, I mean, this was probably two, it was probably 15 years ago or so. And um, oh, it was so exhilarating being there. And I was just, just loved it for the first few days. And then I just saw, you know, my relative suffering and just, you know, May try just trying to make put food on the table and just how and you know intelligent and hardworking everybody was, but they just could not move forward because of the uh, the government and the situation there. So I I said that's it. I'm never going back. I'm not you know this is just too heartbreaking. And so a few years later, um, I was asked by uh, Fish and Fly magazine to go with the editor to do artwork and to kind of be almost like a translator and kind of work with the editor and, and uh, making some parts more accessible to them. And it was interesting going back because of the environment and because of fishing. And it was nice to connect with Cuba through that, through the environment, through nature. And um, I really loved it. I mean, it's, um, just being, you know, uh, kind of being born there and being able to connect with that was pretty special. And then when I came back, I started doing those paintings that you saw. Um, and it was kind of almost like devotional work. I wanted to kind of devote my time and skills to showing how important that was to me. Well, it, it's an amazing place. And I don't have the same connection. Obviously, I, I wasn't born there, but... I was nervous when I went because of all the stories you hear and everything. And then when we got there, I fell in love with it too. The music, you know, we spent some time in Havana and then we traveled to the Jardines de la Reina, Gardens of the Queen, right? Yep, right. And holy smokes, what a freaking place that is. It's yeah. for anyone who's never been, imagine the Florida Keys and you're the only people there. <laughs> yeah. It's just beautiful and the wildlife and the fish and I mean I've never seen so many bonefish and mm -hmm. giant tarpon and and I really connected with the guides. I loved these guides and I was so impressed with their ability 
to make something out of nothing. Like some of the gear they had created and were using. And I mean, these guys were just really impressive. And and I had so much fun with them and fishing with them. I don't know. What was your experience? Yeah, yeah like? absolutely. I, you know, when you're, you're Cuban and you're fishing with Cubans, there's this kind of camaraderie, this connection to the guides. And um, since I speak Spanish and they were speaking Spanish and the editor I was with uh, didn't speak Spanish, they were, they were really funny. Uh, they were kind of critical of our casting, but, uh, you know, uh, but they would, you know, they would tell me kind of just tra talking trash, but uh, they wouldn't say anything to the editor. And then the editor would ask me, what they say? And then I'd have to come up with a whole other story <laughs> about what exactly they were talking about. But uh, it was really enjoyable and, I, and uh, you know, just hardworking. And, um, and like you said, it was just, you know, beautiful, just you know, the biodiversity. I was talking to a biologist there from Scripps when I was there, and he said that there was no place in the world that had the diversity and quantity of fish that you could find there in the uh, Jardines de la Reina. And the um, and that's because there's just no commercial fishing. Mm -hmm. And you could, we actually went to a couple of islands where, you know, people used to live at one point and you could see the remnants of buildings and um and there was one place i remember where we he said just you know we were in a in a drift boat in a in a, not a drift boat a skiff and and he, he said just just tap the water with your hands and i was like all right well, what's what's that all about and so i tapped it for about a minute and with right after that the boat was surrounded with sharks Jeez. And they were just going around us in circles. And I was like, wow, this is pretty amazing and scary. Um, <laughs> and then you certainly didn't want to keep your hand in the water. Um, and after that, we just, you know, we left and went fishing. But um, yeah, it was it was really, um, I think Avalon was mm -hmm. running the organization. I think it's an Italian-based outfitter. But yeah, it was first rate. You know, you're on a barge and then uh, air conditioned and, yep. you know, just the food was just picked, you know, just caught that morning. And yeah, it was it was really nice. Yeah, it's pretty magical. And it's funny you say that about the guides with the casting. You know, at the time I was kind of just getting into or back into fish fly fishing. And and I was with a group of fly fishermen and I brought a couple spinning rods, too. So I was definitely the odd man out. And the one guide. I would try to cast, you know, they'd tell me, oh, tarpon, you know, one o'clock, whatever. And their vision was ridiculous. They'd be yeah. like a hundred yards. I'm like, dude, nope. How, how can you see a fish a hundred yards? Yeah. But sure enough, it'd be out there and I'd start yeah. casting and I'd look up on the polling platform and he'd just be shaking his head like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he, yeah. he came up on the bow and stood behind me and grabbed my, my casting hand and was like motioning from, you know, kind of like, 10 o'clock to two o'clock and he'd go right, stop right. stop yeah bro stop yeah stop throw and yeah and man by the end of that trip he had me pretty dialed in i was yeah. i was catching fish and and i just fell in love with this guy he was an ex-baseball player big fella real strong and yeah. um i left i gave him all my stuff yeah. when i i i left because like you were saying these fellas struggle really hard yeah, and yeah. i think the guides probably 
do better than most because they're getting oh, tips. Yeah. Absolutely. But um, I left them everything, my sunglasses, my fishing rods, tackle. Yeah. I'm like, here, you guys. And he was I, he was so grateful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing what they do with very little. And, and it's kind of um, you kind of feel guilty, you know, that, um, you know, as a Cuban going back, that you are fortunate to live the life of a that I do here in the States compared to, you know, somebody there. And there's really no difference in, you know, skill or education. It's just a matter of I live here and he lives there and they live there. And that's the only difference why, um, you know, my life has been, you know, so productive uh, com you know, compared to the situation there. And so, uh, but yeah, it's, um, it's it's pretty special uh being there i think i remember what their philosophy was we're gonna fish for bones in the morning while the shadows are long and um when the sun is directly overhead we'll fish for tarpon so we can see the shadows underneath the tarpon and then at the end of the day we'll just hit the the channels and just see what we catch and uh that's what we did every day and it was just you know, like you said, nobody around, you know, most of these fish have never seen people or flies. So, um, it was pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Yeah. It, I loved it. And it, I'm, I feel fortunate that I got to experience it and I'm kind of jumping around here, but I, I also, so going back when you first moved to upstate New York as a young man, um, and you're, then you got, you, you've got several advanced degrees and, art and stuff and became a professor of art but like where did fishing come into play how how did you find yeah. fly fishing well you know it's um when i moved to that little coal mining town we were in the middle of nowhere and so um right from a young age i would think i was probably in my like 10 me and my neighbor down the street would we would walk literally like three or four miles just to get to a stream and that was our adventure i mean we were we would walk we would you know this is bait fishing we would take worms actually we wouldn't even take worms we would dig out the worms when we got to the stream and we did this for several years and i don't think we ever caught a fish you know it was we were just terrible but the re reality was we didn't care you know sometimes we'd go all that way and we'd forget our hooks <laughs> and we would just sit around and chat and make a day. Uh, of it. Yeah. We just, you know, and then on the way home, sometimes I remember you could, you know, you'd be walking on a road and you could hear the rain coming behind you and you'd start running, trying to out, you know, outrun the rain. It was just really special. And then I went to school and I really didn't have time to fish anymore. And I had a job and I didn't have time to fish. But when I got here to Western New York, um, I live right on a stream now, Steelhead Stream. But I remember I went to a sporting goods store and I was going to get some racquetball balls or something. And the, and I heard the guy talking about salmon, salmon running up the streams. And I'm like, salmon? We're in the middle, you know, we're in a uh, on the coast of uh, on the on the edge of a uh, Lake Erie. Where are these salmon coming from? And they said, well, you know, they were stocked here, you know, years ago and 
they come into the stream and I'm like, that's crazy. So a couple of years later, I got my career. My job was looking pretty good. I was starting, I got tenure and then I said, all right, that's it. I'm, I'm jumping into this. So I started studying everything I could find about fly fishing and the area and entomology and the migration of the steelhead. And I just got addicted to it. And uh, my neighbor down the road was a great really good steelhead fisherman still is and he was like a, like a fish whisperer you know he would just be able to catch fish like if, if you were in a you know anywhere he could catch fish and so I you know he got me into it and I bought an outfit I think it was from Cabela's or something and and just you know just wore sneakers in the creek and just just to get started and then as I got learned more and more I started tying flies and it was just and then a few years after that I started a youth fly fishing program because I thought it's a great way to get kids from the city out outside so I've been doing the youth fly fishing program for 25 years to, to this year is the 25th year and um and then I, I thought you know if I can teach kids I should be able to guide and um so um, you know, as an educator, you kind of feel that um, you have that connection with people. And so I started guiding and that was over 20 years ago. And um, so I still do that. I still run a program for kids. I still guide. I, I enjoy being with people, kind of sharing the natural assets that we have here. And, and it also forces me to be outside for long periods, you know, if it wasn't for guiding and scouting, I'm sure I would be, I'd be out there fishing, but it would only be, you know, a few hours a day or something like that. It wouldn't be, you know, say 10 hours a day. And um, you just uh, feel really connected to the environment, to the region. You know, you know where, how every stream, what's happening with every stream, what are the conditions of the fish moving in, are they moving out? It's like a huge puzzle you're trying to put together during the season. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. I I've never fished for steelhead and, you know, I can't imagine there's a massive run of them up there. So you probably really do have to pay attention to, you know, the river levels and clarity and bugs Absolutely, and, and yeah. all that stuff. It's quite a puzzle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, And I wanted to ask you, this might sound cheesy, but do you think fly fishing is sort of like its own kind of art form? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's its own art form in a physical sense. Um, I think being outside kind of, I think that's the other thing with guiding is because you're outside so much, you just really appreciate the environment and then if you can connect that spirituality with the environment, with your own casting and, and trying to present the flies in a very kind of minimal way so that you're not, you're protecting the fish, but you're also casting in a way that is very fluid and almost kind of reflects what you're seeing. I think when that all comes together, it's pretty special and um, trying to share that with the clients, I think is pretty good too, pretty special. And when they get it, you know, when they see everything come together, they're casting the fly, mm -hmm. presenting it to the fish and they can see a fish coming 
and chasing their fly down. I mean, that is just crazy. I mean, it's so exciting, yeah. especially when, you know, I get more excited guiding than I do fishing myself because, um, you know, if you do it for a long time, you're, you're pretty, you know, I, I want to fish in a certain way, but with them, you know, this is completely new to them. And it's, it's so exciting just to see their reaction and how, you know, everything comes together. And uh, it's a lot of factors that have to come together for them to catch a fish. And when it does, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it's the coolest thing ever, especially the visual side of it, if you could see the fish bite right. and all yeah. that. And it does, I was trying to explain it to my son, you know, fly fishing, it, it does, you have to devote some time to it to get good at it. And for me, it was kind of like playing guitar. Like, I'm not really a good guitar player, but mm -hmm. I learned a few chords and I, yeah. I would just strum and strum and strum. And then eventually you're like, wait, this is a song. Like, it's actually right. something clicked. It's it's finally yeah. happening. Yeah. And it can be that way in the river where it's sort of just, it comes together and it, it's pretty magical. Yeah, I think, you know, fly fishing, a lot of people get intimidated by, you know, there's so much that you can learn or there's so much to it but it can be as simple as you want it to be and the more you know the more you realize there is to learn so i think that's the part that some people get intimidated but look, look if anything it's you know if you keep it simple and just you know when i fish myself i generally take uh a fly box and oftentimes when i, I leave that in the car i take one fly and that's it if i lose that fly i'm done i go mm -hmm. home Okay. But that's it, you know, and if the fish aren't hitting, I'll try to figure out a presentation that they will they will try to hit it. But um, the more simple you make things, I think the more you can appreciate the 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 sport and also the environment. You so you're not like just, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. You know, you know, there's just so much. I mean, the leader has that leader long enough. Yeah, who cares? Just. <laughs> just cast it get it in front of the fish the fish aren't going to know what kind of rod what kind of leader what kind of fly line all they want to see is that fly in front of them and if you can do that that's that's really the the key to it all and it, it sounds like you've created a pretty fun day too you you're you have a, a old farmhouse up there right. and, it, and yep. you make your wife cooks people lunch is that right and then yeah, we have, we have, uh, we made a deal when this is all started that, um, so, uh, what I do usually on full days is we fish, uh, for like, you know, eight hours, seven, eight hours. Uh, we have snacks on the stream, but then we finish off the day at our house. We, my wife cooks, you know, like, uh, salad soup uh entrees uh some kind of fish or meat and then uh chocolate chip cookies rice nice um we finish off with a little bit of port or, or some beer and it's just a nice way to connect it's just you know you're creating a relationship i know every time i take a client out i'm building a relationship um, it's almost like starting a friendship um, because you spent some special time already on the water. So this is kind of a culminating part of that. If we do half days, which we usually do during the week because uh, my wife works, um, we don't do the lunch, but, you know, we still have everything else. 
but now I have an assistant who is uh, doing the lunches at home for me. So, um, so we were starting to do more full days during the week. During COVID, we used to do the lunches on the stream. We'd have to, you know, I'd have to carry all the stuff. But, um, and that was kind of fun. It was, you know, it was kind of pretty traditional, you know, have your kind of put all, all your stuff. And um, I remember actually having some lunches in, in the pouring rain. We would have to, you know, go under a tree and trying to figure out how to make a lunch. And it's a little tough when it's like 30 degrees. And uh, so it's not the type of thing you want to be sitting around when it's, you know, cold and rainy and windy and it's 30 degrees out. So it's nice to be able to come back inside now. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like a cool experience. And and that's all part of it. I agree. It's fun to meet new people and talk shop. And, you know, a lot of folks, you can kind of check your politics at the door and just focus Absolutely. on the fishing and yeah. Yeah. That's a nice thing too. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you've also, you've traveled like crazy. So I was looking, I mean, you've been to Nepal and all these places. Tell me a little bit about your, your project in Nepal. That sounded pretty amazing. Yeah. So one of the things I started about, and this is again, related to fly fishing, you know, I, as I said, I was, you know, really when I started fly fishing, I started to study the science of it. The, importance of water quality to insect life and to fish and so I started to make art that kind of reflected my research in this area kind of locally and then I started to as I traveled to different places around the country to fish I would study the environment of the rivers and then I started incorporating it into my artwork and then I started to do more I started to do it kind of globally. So the idea of if you understand something locally, you can understand, you'll start to get an appreciation for issues that happens around the world, kind of global issues, uh, environmental issues. So I was, I had this museum exhibition in Buffalo about a local stream that runs through the middle of uh, the city of Buffalo. And, um, and that stream was actually buried underneath the city of Buffalo because in the 18, uh, early 1900s, the river was so polluted that they didn't want to deal with cleaning it. So they just built a tunnel and they pushed the river underneath so they wouldn't have to worry about it. So it was during this exhibition that this, this doctor came up to me uh, and one of these doctors across borders came up to me and he said, you know, have you thought about doing a project like this in Nepal? And I said, well, you know, no, I haven't thought about it, but uh, <laughs> I'd, I'd be I'd be interested in it. And I said, but I would only do this if I could partner with people there and if they wanted me. I didn't want to be the ugly American who goes to another country and starts saying, hey, look, look at all the problems you have when we certainly have enough of those ourselves. And so... Um, I started to send out some emails to galleries and museums and and within a few weeks they said no we'd love to have you I'll give we'll give you a show we'll give you a residency at a museum and so we were you know this happened quick so um like a year later we were supposed to go uh start this research to do a book about this uh, the Bagmedi River which flows through the middle of Kathmandu 
And the Bagmati is interesting because it's the holiest river in Nepal, but it's also the most polluted river. And I was kind of like, how does that happen? How does something that is that important to a culture become so polluted? And so that's what the you know, kind of the book explains and is how lack of, um, they had regulations, but it wasn't enforced. The, uh, the lack of control and urban migration, the lack of water quality, uh, building water treatment plants, the issues related to that, the issues related to the politics of the government and how volatile that was and how that all happened. Um, so that's really what the book and the artwork was about. Um, and so that gave me the opportunity to study a lot of different uh, government reports and a lot of science uh, documents. But the idea with my work is, you know, you do all this research, but you want to make it accessible to the public. You want to be able to, somebody who comes off the street who has no knowledge of science can read it, look at it, and get, get the idea of it. And so that's kind of what I do. I'm kind of like a translator. Hmm. Uh, using my art as kind of a way to compel people to look at the information. Um, so it's a combination of science and art as a way of making kind of complicated ideas more accessible. Wow. And this is all related to, you know, nature and nature is related to fly fishing. And that's how I came into it. And that's how I still am connected. It's, you know, I'm fortunate that at this point in my life, everything comes together. At one time, when I was younger, I used to think, well, you have to make a decision. Are you going to go into science? Are you going to go into art? And fly fishing would be something completely different. And now I realize that this is all kind of interconnected. Yeah, that's that's, nice. that's truly, truly amazing. So it's almost like this lens you look through as a fly angler of putting those pieces together. What's up with the river and what are they feeding on and where are they hiding? And it seems like a similar approach you take to these projects and I mean, are you actually taking water samples and stuff or just? Oh, yeah. Jump? Yeah, we did. Um, with the, uh, the projects I've done, I've we've done water samples. In, in Nepal, we were uh, going to do this pretty kind of complicated uh, water sampling of the river at different points. But we were fortunate when we got there, we found that the this group of water water scientists had already done that for us. They had actually stopped from the mouth of the river uh, all the way to the headwaters. And um, they had every, I can't remember how many kilometers, they had actually done a pretty extensive okay. uh, sampling of the water. So we were able to put that information into the book, which would have been much better than anything we could have done. And we also did a documentary uh, that kind of explains the project and hmm. the issue with the water, which is it's pretty complicated. And I think that the, the one of the problems with Kathmandu is they're getting the water from the headwaters of this river, but the headwaters is already polluted because there's villages above that where they collect the water that has no uh, sewage treatment plant so that is already being tainted before it comes into the city and um, they I think the government wasn't happy to have us uh, okay. put that out <laughs> and um, 
Did but you bring your fly cool. rods and stuff, or is there no fish? You know, fishing? we were. We were supposed to fish for these, um, I think they're called snow trout. They're not really trout, but they look like trout. Um, and uh, we were supposed to fish in this national park. Um, and the one of the, one of the uh, uh, professors we were talking to wasn't able to get permission for us to do that. Okay. So we were ready, but we weren't able to do it. Interesting. Well, that sounds like quite a remarkable trip and just one of many in your life. Um, and I, I wanted to circle back on the youth program you mentioned briefly, too. Um, you said you're about to celebrate your 25th year. I'm just curious, do some of these kids end up like, do they see a career path with fishing? Is fishing opening doors for some of these young folks? Not necessarily fishing, but they go into the sciences. They go into the you know, environment. We have a lot, a few students, kids who end up growing up and going, going into environmental studies or environmental protection or some kind of um, field related to the environment. So their time outside kind of spurs the love of that and. I think so. I mean, I think they are also, you know, we were, we're somewhat rural so that we open up, you know, kind of like a window to what's out here. Um, but we've been doing this, you know, we have, we, we meet every week and we tie flies and then uh, we're, we're also open it to the community. So, and it's all free. So we, um, we have students between, you know, know 80 and 10 years old and it's kind of nice having that group together and we do some trash talking in there and have we have some fun and we give away a lot of stuff to the kids so that um you know they can use it on their own we have people who no longer use certain rods and reels that they've kind of outgrown and so they give it to us and then we just give it to the kids and um, it's kind of fun. You know, we we keep it kind of small and intimate. We don't want to make it something so big that we can't control. Um, and yeah, it's just a lot of fun. I mean, as long as you keep it fun, um, I think that's the way to do it. You know, we've been uh, fortunate that I have a few adults who kind of help us um and so when everybody comes in they they don't have to come in with anything we have everything all the gear we have waders and boots so when we go on uh these field trips again just in their backyard in this local stream we have the rods and reels and um which we're starting to need a few more but we got waders and boots that we let the kids um and adults use on these uh free uh, field trips that we have and uh and sometimes they just love being in the water i mean i you know if they catch a fish i'm not concerned about that we'll practice the casting and technique but sometimes they just love being in a creek the idea of being in waders in, in water is something that's really new to them and uh, so uh yeah it's been it's been really enjoyable. And the other thing that we've done because of this program is we also now stock uh, brook trout in a stream that used to have it, but no longer had it. And so we are into, I think, our 12th year of putting in brooders. And brooders are two-year-olds that are ready to spawn. So when we put them in in October, they're all colored up. And we've heard from landowners that they've seen these fish spawning on their 
uh, in their property. And, and that's pretty nice. And we've found that they've also uh, lived and lasted through the summer. So they, they've been able to survive. Uh, I know there's some documentation that say the stocked fish don't last too long, but we, that hasn't been the case with us. Wow. Yeah. We even seen them, um, go into, we found that some fish have gone into the lake, Lake Erie and come back. Uh, so that's been pretty exciting. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, we enjoy it. Um, and um, I think it's important, especially these days when so many kids are kind of spending a lot of time in front of screens. It's nice to get them outside and yes, doing something different. No, that's, I, I would love to get involved with that. I'd love doing things like that, even if just like beach cleanups and kids, oh, kids yeah. love it. You know, I hear a lot of parents, I've got two young kids and oh, I can't get Billy off the screen. And it's like, well, if you just say you want to go fishing, I, they very rarely say no. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, it's really on us to do it. And I admire the hell out of that. That sounds like a lot of fun. And um, you're changing lives and that's uh, you're stocking fish. That's that's a great legacy to leave. Super cool. And I think we also do a stream cleanup. We haven't done it since COVID, uh, but we're, we're thinking of getting back into it. Um, I think that's important because you're building a community of stewards. And so, um, you know, we have a big picnic with cake and hot dogs and we have everybody go out and clean mm -hmm. the stream. We give away hats and t-shirts and um, it's a way for them to feel like, you know, I'm protecting this stream that's in my neighborhood and down the road, if something were to happen, um, I think they can fight for that, you know, yeah. protection. Well, you're really doing the same thing you and your neighbor were doing as kids playing in the water. It's you're Absolutely. just giving that same gift back. And, you know, I, I've seen it. My boys just flipping rocks over in the river and looking for stuff and bugs yeah. and crawdads and whatever. It's yeah, absolutely. Just building those, starting those building blocks and getting them absolutely. fired up about it. That's just, yeah. I, that's, that's really cool. Alberto. And thank you. Um, so let's, what kind of artwork are you on these days? I, you, every time I look at your website, you have a new exhibit somewhere. Um, how are well, things a, going in the studio? I have a show up right now at the Castellani Museum at Niagara University, which is about 10 minutes from Niagara Falls. It's, it's this really big exhibition about the history of Niagara River and the environmental issues that it's faced and is facing and some of the thing, you know, the cultural aspects of the Native Americans. Um, so it's kind of like a historical perspective about the river. It's also about what's happened to it environmentally and also about the beauty of the river. So that's up now and it's gonna be up for a few more months, I think till January. Um, and um, I'm starting to do uh, fish heads. So I'm doing portraits of fish that I've caught, just the heads uh, for these paintings um, of fish that I caught over the summer in the last year or two. And I'm also doing some ceramics. I'm building some bowls. I've got some bowls that have kind of fish in the kind of in the middle. And then I have some epoxy within it. So it seems like they're swimming in these bowls. Oh, wow. Um, 
so yeah i um i'm kind of working on a few things um and also planning for this around the world trip that starts in february where my wife and i are going to travel around the world for six months and um we're going to fish fly fish through a good portion of it and um we're just you know just gonna just have some fun and uh you know check out I'm hoping to uh, bring uh, my clients um, back. Uh, so I'm going to, part of this is just for my wife and I have fun, but I'm also writing a few articles and one for Angler's Journal. Uh, we're going to do some artwork about that. And, yeah. uh, uh, but we're also going to be checking out um, a lot of Orvis endorsed uh, uh, outfitters. And because uh, I'm, I'm an Orvis endorsed guide and my plan is to, when I come back, uh, bring these clients that I've, uh, had over the last 20 years, uh, with me back to these places that I'm kind of personally picking and, uh, selecting, which are going to be the most, the best experiences for me and the clients to go back to. Oh, that's going to be amazing. And I, I'm so jealous. It sounds incredibly cool. I wish I could do something like that. Six months. Wow. Um, but yeah, we're looking forward to seeing what you come up with and absolutely want to get more of your work in the magazine for all of our listeners who want to reach out to Alberto for a fishing trip or check out his artwork. You can visit Alberto Ray. That's R E Y.com. And yeah, this has been a lot of fun, Alberto. You've, you've lived quite a fishing life, my friend. Well, thank you, Charlie. I've I've always enjoyed working with you and Bill and Angler's Journal, and I appreciate the opportunity to uh, share my experiences and our conversation with your listeners. Yeah, this has been fun. Safe travels. <laughs> thank you very much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too.